Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. As always, I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our wonderful, wonderful guest today is a longtime friend of mine, Alana Levine, who is just this amazing human, and I've been working with her off and on for years in various podcasting projects, and we've always talked about having her on my podcast, and we were going to do it, and then the pandemic hit, and things just went haywire, but now we actually made it happen, so... I am really excited to share this conversation with you. And full disclosure, it's actually kind of awkward for me to interview people that I already know. I don't quite know why. I don't quite know why that is, but uh, we had a good time anyway. I actually have a much easier time asking weird questions to people I don't know. So take that for whatever it means. I don't know. Find me on all the socials, leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now, and everybody please enjoy this episode with Ilana Levine. My guest today may be best known to my musical theater audience for her role as Lucy Van Pelt in the Broadway revival of the musical You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. She also starred in the Broadway production of Jake's Women, Wrong Mountain, and The Last Night of Ballyhoo, in addition to performing at the Tony Awards and her amazing guest appearance on the infamous episode of Seinfeld called The Contest. She has appeared in many television shows and films, including Law and Order, Tanner on Tanner, Damages, Failure to Launch, The Nanny Diaries, Friends with Kids, Five fights up and so many more i gotta stop now or i'd be here all day in may of 2016 she joined the podcast universe when she began hosting little known facts with alana levine and she also hosts the podcasts called and the award goes to and how to be more chill for the broadway podcast network i already gave it away alana levine welcome to the theater podcast alan i've been waiting i've been waiting and waiting (laughs) for this invitation and finally it has happened Thank you. We talked about this. You're welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. I remember like we talked about this pre-pandemic and then the world went to shit and and then we've been working together uh, on the other two podcasts, How to Be More Chill and, and the award goes to for, for a couple of years now. And so now it's just like, oh yeah, we never actually made this happen. So here we are. I am so happy to to have you in this capacity because we've hung out for a long time. We see shows together. We work together and... Now I get to actually sit down with you uninterrupted and learn what makes you tick. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, little, little Alana, take us back to, to <laughs> what, what got you into the theatra? What, uh, what was your touchstone? Do you have a moment when you're like, this is for me, this is where I needed to go here? I definitely had a touchstone in terms of this is for me. I will always be the happiest audience member anytime I walk into a theater ever. So my childhood was about the appreciation of the arts. I was in no way someone who performed in the arts. Um, But my family had the great benefit. We lived in New Jersey, so we could drive over the George Washington Bridge and Broadway was right there. And uh, my mom grew up in Brooklyn, was, was a passionate theater lover, and really like anytime something momentous or glorious happened in our lives, a Broadway show was how we got to celebrate. Wow. And um, this was, you know, it didn't matter what seat it was, it, it, and it didn't matter if it were a musical or a straight play. My mother really opened up the world of theater to me. Um, you know, they're reviving Camelot. I keep remembering listening to Camelot on a record in my house. That was one of her favorite, favorite musicals. She saw the original. So my absolute love and awe for for the arts and getting to see a Broadway show that that was born out of my mom's infectious passion for it and then I mean I've told the story before so I'll tell a very truncated version of it um, I was getting a haircut when I was a, a about to be a freshman in college and there was one of the most handsome people cutting my hair and doing a blow dry and his name was Bruno Rondinelli and Bruno 
when he wasn't like Warren Beatty from Shampoo vibes, uh, was writing a play. <laughs> and he um, he had, you know, in, in the salon, everyone has their station. And on his little shelf were, you know, hairbrushes and, and hair products and this p- script. And so um, I guess at some point I picked it up. This was not a girl who'd ever done a play. I didn't know what a Samuel French play would look like. I certainly had read plays in high school in big, you know, anthologies and collections of playwrights. But seeing like a script like this was brand new. And I guess I was in love with Bruno. And to try to, I don't know what I was doing. I started reading his play out loud. And he was... um, excited to hear his words read back to him and he was like you know what you're you're really good at reading at cold readings did not know what a cold reading was but i was like (laughs) thank you um and from there five hours later i ended up going to his acting studio in new york city that allowed people to audit for free wednesday nights once a month Um, This was the Terry Schreiber Studios, an acting studio in New York City. And that's how it all began. I walked into a room where people were doing um, emotional recall exercises. And someone did this thing where using like the furniture that you have in an acting class, like, you know, like two cartons to make a couch and something else made a refrigerator I don't know she she made a room and then this girl came out on stage in like business attire she kind of kept walking on and off the stage coming back in various forms of like post-work clothes like sweatpants and her blazer and then she came back again fully in her like couch potato clothes and mimes turning on a TV and then she goes to the refrigerator that she made out of you know cardboard boxes and from the back of the refrigerator takes a baby bottle and sits on the couch and proceeds to drink from a baby bottle and Mm -hmm. that was her I'm sorry it was a private moment exercise not an emotional recall private moment so this was someone sharing with the class that when she comes home after work her private moment is to drink out of a baby bottle so a this was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen, right? B, what? <laughs> and C, <laughs> the most remarkable part of all of it. And and many, you know, people did all sorts of things that day. But I remember listening to the feedback that she got and how the teacher sort of led the conversation. And it was the most empathetic, kind, generous, fascinating post scene work discussion i mean i'm 18 years old i don't i'm from teaneck i i don't i don't know what's happening except that i was in a room with the most generous beautiful people who watched this thing where honestly i didn't know whether to giggle or cry i did not know what or get help like i didn't know what to do watching this thing and i very much learned like That's what it is to be brave. I mean, truly, there are very few more intimate things that anyone could share with a therapist, let let alone a room full of strangers, including auditors like me, right? Like, it wasn't... Anyway, I I could go on and on about that night. Um, And that actress... (laughs) (laughs) And now we know her as... (laughs) No, but honestly, so... Bruno, haircut, reading his play, that class, everything in my life changed from that moment on. And I didn't know that I was going to end up doing this professionally, but I knew that I wanted to start being in these kinds of rooms. That's incredible that you just took one one evening of chance after chance and just went with it and a fresh college 18-year-old who's gone who who didn't even know you wanted to do this goes to this class where one of the objectively speaking weirdest things that you could see is happening that night and instead of running and being like i don't want anything to do with this you fully dove in and and so i guess back up a second number one did you and bruno ever have a moment did that ever come to fruition no so bruno (laughs) bruno ended up 
I don't think I ever, I don't think he came to a class again after. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I, I know that he still has a salon, and I know that randomly he and a cousin of mine were in some poker tournament recently, and this huge full circle moment happened where I get a text from my cousin saying, you know, I just folded and Bruno Rondinelli, you know, won the pot, like something <laughs> like that. Um, so no, I think he, he was a real artist and it turned out that hair artistry became the thing that he committed to. Um, but yeah, and so much happened since then, but needless to say, I, I sw- I was like a marketing business major and I just, everything recalibrated and reshifted and, and yeah. I thought I was going to ask if what you were originally acting. going to school for. So did you did you switch schools or you were able to do this? I hadn't started, right? It was it was the summer before I was wow. about to start college. I went to orientation at the university that I had been accepted at and and as my mom reminds me, I barely remember the story, but like 2 hours into orientation, I was like I'm coming home. This is I'm not going here. And um yeah, and so I ended up applying to NYU and Fordham University. Fordham because I had like read somewhere that Denzel Washington and Patricia Clarkson had gone there. <laughs> um, I didn't even know it was a Jesuit university and and how beautiful that would be as part of the um, academics there. And uh, anyway, I got into NYU and I got into Fordham and uh, Fordham helped me financially go to their school. I think they were like, Levine, we don't have any of you. Come on in. We'll give you. <laughs> and NYU was like, we have 7,000 Levines. Um, anyway, and that ended up being a, a really remarkable place to go to school, as it turned out. And when I came into school, John Hickey was a senior uh, John Benjamin Hickey, mm-hmm. but we had a class together and he became my first friend, like my first actor friend, um, and to this day remains my most beloved, cherished friend. Um, but yeah, so I ended up studying theater. I was a theater major there. I I want to jump ahead because you just mentioned John Benjamin Hickey. He's been a guest on And the Award Goes Too, which is, you know, the podcast that that we're currently releasing season three of. And it's fascinating to me um, when when we're talking about like, oh, yeah, I'm just texted. I'm texting Harvey Firestein. I'm texting Dallas and Janney. I'm like you are legitimately friends with all of these people and you've been friends with them for forever. And decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, decades and decades, and Jason Alexander and all these just amazing people that you've just kept up with, and I guess kind of falling down that path a little bit is well, I guess in the bio, right? So we is said texting that, your um, passion. Is texting my pet? Pa- yes. Did you <laughs> only you text? So is that all you ever do? Yeah. Did you text a I lot love of people? Because you only yeah. call me. No, um, <laughs> no. I guess the 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 thing about it. I guess what I'm getting into is like you've you've been fortunate enough to work with such amazing people and and maybe maybe it's I, I'm I'm trying to figure out where where my question is formulating here because the people who have been in the business for for these decades and for um people of a certain age, right, who are still with it are who are who haven't given up or who haven't gone on to do something else or even recently yeah. left the business during the pandemic. Um yeah. So many people ha- are still such a close knit community, and I mean, do you see that on on your side of the world and in your environment too? If you're just like, you you did you're a good man, Charlie Brown with you know with B D Wong and Roger Bart and Kristen Chenoweth and Anthony Rapp and Chris uh, and Stanley Mathis, right? So all of these people went on to such amazing things, yourself included, and, and I don't I don't know like. Do you see what I'm getting at? All of you sort of moved through this iconic point together and have become these icons in the industry. And is that is that a, a club that you realize that was really hard to get into at the time? Is it like looking at kids now starting out of college? Is it different from your the way you perceive it? You know, I I only know this. I feel like when you named the people that you just named, I feel like so much of life, you know, everyone talks about success being, you know, preparation and luck coming together. I feel like 
the luck I've had in my life of being in rooms, working with, or for, for however I came to know them, like Alice and Janney I met uh, because we were at a Super Bowl party uh, together <laughs> in 1988. And I know the year because the show I was shooting at the time was called Tanner 88. And someone in that show brought me to this Super Bowl party. Um, and I met Allison. And when I tell you that the laughter, like no one, we just laughed. I mean, we because neither of us were interested in football, we just found ourselves like fast friends. And then very quickly thereafter ended up like we both were moving out to LA and found each other there again and ended up living together. A lot of things happened. When I look back to certain people in my life, I mean, Hickey, I went to school with um, and, and Matt McGrath, was there and Julie White had graduated from Fordham. By the way, Hickey was at Fordham because Julie White, who was also from Texas, had gone to Fordham and he was like, <laughs> oh, I, that's that's a college. In New you know what I mean? Like he followed her basically to New York City and Julie White came back to Fordham uh, to do cabaret with Hickey. He played Cliff after he went on to do it for Sam Mendes um, on Broadway, obviously. Wow. But he I first saw him do Cliff and I had to be stage manager because, you know, when you're you're a theater major, you have to do all the jobs at different points. So I stage managed Julie White and John Benjamin Hickey's production of Cabaret at Fordham University in, in the late 80s. Um, and I think about like Alice. So so I guess what I would say is. Back in the day, and this is still a thing, I think, although then you were a New York actor who went to L.A. just for pilot season. Now people graduate and go right out to L.A. and sort of skip the whole let's do really off, 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 off Broadway shows first in New York before going out to L.A. So we were all on this trajectory of do plays for one penny in New York and then try to go get a pilot in L.A. And... And so during pilot season, quote unquote, is when I started to get to know or live with for, you know, we would sublet an apartment together. And I, I lived with Helen Hunt for one pilot season. And at the time she was going out with Matthew Broderick. And that's how I first met ba Matthew back in the day. And um, and Allison, as I said, we both went out for pilot season at the same time. So there were sort of two things going on. There were like these displaced New Yorkers who would find themselves out in L.A. and all um, doing play readings at each other's houses all the time to keep feeling like actors while we went through what we went through. <laughs> um, and then Allison called me after her audition for The West Wing, and she was like, well, I was terrible. And I was like, <laughs> oh, honey, I'm sorry. Um, not so terrible, as it turned out. Obviously. Anyway, you know... I think that, as you know, as a, a theater artist yourself, there's something that happens in dressing rooms. I mean, if I thought drinking out of a baby bottle and doing that for others in a room was intimate, that's sort of um, what it is to be in a dressing room with people. And as someone who has been doing this for a really long time and has done so many plays, I mean, Broadway was just this miraculous place to also get to work but there's for every broadway play there were you know 30 plays i did naked angels was a theater company that i got into very early on and naked angels was started and inhabited by people who were not yet famous like marissa tomei and fisher stevens and gina gershon and our writers oh and joe mantello and john robin bates and warren light and kenny lonergan were our playwrights like so when I look at like the people, like I can't believe all of those people went on to just write the most incredible plays that are done all over the world. But that's that was like our our basement. We were, you know, workshopping sideman. We were, you know, and and then Robbie ends up doing Substance of Fire and Sarah Jessica Parker is in that play and Ron Riffin. So I could go on and on and on. But I also think having been a part of a of a community in New York of Naked Angels, um, which was an incredible theater company to be a part of. Um, yeah. And, and all of us just really kept supporting each other. That's why I have so many guests that I can get to come on my podcast, because 
that theater company especially was a breeding ground of, of creativity and friendship and passion. Do you think that current social media has kind of destroyed that ecosystem a little bit? I don't know, because as you know, every time we do a podcast and you and I have done one million things together, I'm still looking for like the unmute button. Like I am so <laughs> not intuitive and you can tell neither are my friends because we'll have like, you know, the Judith lights and people like that on. And I'm like, Alan, you don't understand. You are not being specific enough. We don't understand what browser <laughs> means. And you're like, oh my God. So you are part of the world that really deeply understands that. I don't know how communities are formed. I know that when I, you know, sometimes I'm asked to do like master classes, you know, at the new school or someplace like that and on like the business of acting, which is hilarious because I, I really shouldn't speak to that um, because I, I'm not savvy in that way. But I do even remind all those people kids in the room every time I go to a college like look around this room this can be if you want your first artistic community and every one of you in this room can help each other make the thing they want to make right and so maybe on this one I'll film it for you and you'll act in it and then maybe on yours I'll act in it and you'll film it for me and maybe the girl you know two seats down has an uncle who's like a music producer and maybe she'll share your beats with it. Like, like you just never know. So for me, it all happened in a room. But I have friends who um, have kids who are blowing up in the music business. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've just posted their stuff on YouTube or wherever. So, so this idea of, I mean, I think you can gain traction in, in, on the internet with with the thing you make but i don't know that you build community that way that's what i was sort of getting at because you i think with the internet it's more of um building a following which is not the mm -hmm. same as community because community to me is something that is uh reliable supportive intimate personal and you know like would you want to share with all of your followers that you like drinking out of a baby bottle when you come home <laughs> at the end of your naked i will angels share that i'm drinking Dunkin right now i am <laughs> drinking a dunkin donuts iced coffee and i'm and i'm not ashamed to admit it um i know and i know you know this too that what has been really incredible to me in the part of my life that is podcasting is a i know that i'm stating the obvious but people all over the globe listen right like mm -hmm. like when i started this and you started this i know it's an obvi but it was not to me that i would start getting dms from people in dubai iraq barcelona and philly right like like yeah. really local and really global and so I also didn't realize how much and how many people have to hide their love or even the fact that they are listening to Broadway musicals because they're only allowed to be listening if they listen to music at all to religious music, mm -hmm. right? Like we're still living in a world. So what I would say is when we talk about followers or community, as opposed to someone you're making something with, it's been really beautiful to me to see the way that these podcasts, these conversations um, become a safe space for other people to share with me, with you, with all of us who are a part of the Broadway Podcast Network and other places, secrets mm -hmm. that they can't share, uh, their sexuality. Their, it's so complex. So I, I don't know how to divide it up into like followers versus real life friends versus collaborators but i do know that there's been a really beautiful space that's opened up for me to be able to be in communication with people who in some ways feel like they know me because they've listened to hundreds of episodes um and feel like i might understand or be compassionate or open to whatever they're going through and maybe that's the part of me that went to that first acting class and was not judgmental of what I was watching, but fascinated and empathetic and wondered 
what happened to this person when she was young, that that's still her comfort, right? Like as an adult person. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel really lucky that I grew up in a time where people called each other on the phone and had yeah. really long conversations with each other um, and met in coffee shops and late night drinks after shows and sat and talked for hours about the thing we just saw rather than just tweeting about it or posting a picture of the playbill in front of the set, you know, to promote it. So uh, it's like, I get why your question is sort of open-ended in a way, because I've had just the unique, unique fortune in my life to come into contact through job after job or friends of people that I met on a job and have had really long-lasting, deep, deep friendships for years and years now. And part of that is also I stayed in one place. Like I've been, you know, I didn't move to another country. You know, I've been here. I'm right Mm -hmm. here. Um, We've all kind of stayed here. We're in New York. Yeah, New York is arguably the center of the world, you know, Yeah, well, it's arguably the center of my world. Um, and in some ways, <laughs> my world is very small. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, but I just want to 20... say, just to go back, by the way, to the Naked Angels thing. The reason I got into Naked Angels is I did summer stock the summer before I got into Naked Angels, and I did a play that was directed non-union, non-ec by Michael Greif. And wow. Michael and I became great friends. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go direct this play at this theater company called Naked Angels that my friend asked me to do. Um, do you want to do it? And so, again, like, that's just crazy. And that became Michael Greif, like, who we owe so much to in terms of rent and other things that we love. So, I don't know, had I not done that, one, you know, get paid $1 to do the Berkshire Theater Festival... Like, it all is about saying yes to things because you just never know. What's well, one of the weirdest things you have said yes to where you're in the moment like, this is really odd. And then looking back on it, it's been this major uh, crossroads that took you to an amazing place. Wow, that's such a good question. I mean, I think back when I first started out, I assume this still goes on in the world. I would go to, I was in New York, and I'd go to like the Columbia University or NYU. I'd go to these bulletin boards and see if anyone was doing a student film, right? And I did many of them. That is how I learned how to be on camera, doing these, not indie films, (laughs) student films. Student films. Um, Like, like, yeah. And we're talking like, It's 4 a.m. and we are freezing in some neighborhood that I couldn't even find again if I tried. And it felt a little scary and a little dangerous. And it's freezing. Um, And so there were a couple of moments during shoots like that where I was like, where am I? And what am I doing? Um, But none of those turned into anything except incredible friendships, great times, and like some pretty good movies. And so one of them turned into my demo reel. Like I didn't have anything. And that reel, which was one movie, not a reel, became something that my agent could show to Robert Altman's producer slash casting director. And it all started with me, for me, with Bob Altman because Cynthia Nixon starred in that series with me, Pamela Reed, Michael Murphy, Daniel Jenkins, um, Kevin J. O'Connor, all of these incredible people. And that's how I got my first show. So it was scary. Wow. And I thought at one point, I almost got killed. Like I almost got run over. I I, I, I had to do this thing on the tracks and almost got hit by a train. Like <sighs> crazy, crazy stuff that no one should have done. But it ended up to be a piece of film that, that was really useful later on. So, so that's so, comes so you're saying mind. you got stunt pay for your student film, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. in 2016, though, you you enter into the podcast universe with little known mm-hmm. facts, and 2016 even it was not that long ago, but in the podcast world, it seems like 
3,000 years ago because podcast yeah. all of a sudden just like peaked in 2020 with the pandemic and it just like 2018 I think is when it really caught on and you were ahead of the curve and you've got what is it as we're recording this right now you've got 351 episodes public on iTunes right now that's insane yeah. insanely cool like why did uh, you were saying too that you're sort of not into tech and and don't understand it so where did this idea even come from how did you start getting into podcast land so at the time i listened to terry gross on npr that was i would say in my ears the only interview radio show that i kind of knew and Mark Marin had had already been doing WTF. Um, and so in terms of my awareness of what something like this looked like, felt like, sounded like, they were like the two people I'd ever heard in my in my ears. Um, a friend of mine came to me and told me that he was investing in a podcast, in a booth, basically, in the in the world of podcasting, specifically the booth, the engineer, all of that stuff. He was partnering in a business. It was called Hanger Studios at the time. Mm -hmm. And so he had seen a bunch of people in and out of this studio making content. And he was like, every time I'm with you, I find myself telling you something I haven't even told my wife. Like there's something about you that I find myself opening up about all sorts of things. And I think you would be great at hosting a podcast. It was just based on his experience with me. And I, and I had just, you know, this is not a new concept, the power of yes, but I just decided that I was going to say yes to new types of creative opportunities that came to me if they were safe and okay for, for me physically, emotionally. Didn't and, require and train stunts. Yeah. <laughs> train stunts. Yeah. And, you know, wouldn't put me or my family uh, <laughs> in harm's way. Um, and I, you know, you know this, like you have kids and so suddenly the things that you do, you choose really carefully. And so for me, where I ended up in my career, having done the number of shows I'd done is getting offers to do amazing plays all the time, not in New York City. Yep, like yep. I would have to fight and claw for great parts in New York and, and they would come along sometimes, but constantly like, oh my God, that's an amazing play in New Haven, right? right. Like it was, so I was sort of thinking like what, how can I tell stories or be around this world that I love so much and, and not go to New Haven for you know, six weeks at a time. So I just said yes, and I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, but as I said, I knew Mark Marin's show, and so many people I knew had been on his podcast, and I kind of, you know, his thing is leading with his sobriety, and he talks a lot about himself, and I I really love his show, and it was very inspirational to me. Um, but I, so I, I sort of used his show a little bit as a template, minus the me of it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mark shares a lot of himself and I found myself much less interesting than he is and thought, I'm just going to shine my light on my guests. And the first person I bumped into, who's an old friend of mine also, is John Slattery. And so I told him I was doing this and he's like, oh, come on. And so he was my guinea pig and we, he's my first episode and, and we laughed so much. And when we were done, he was like, Alana, I've done a lot of these, you know, Mad Men had just finished and he was, I don't know, he's, he probably had clocked in more interviews, you know, than most people we know. And he was like, you remind me of Howard Stern. And I thought that's such a funny thing for him to say. And he's like, what I meant by that is I felt like so safe the entire time. Like I was with someone who was very seasoned at this, even though you hadn't done it before. I didn't know where the conversation was going to go, but I felt completely safe and comfortable going wherever you wanted us to go. And that was such an incredible um, bolstering thing to hear. Like that's pretty awesome feedback. Mm -hmm. So I decided to keep going. And I have to be honest, because John did it, then he 
you know, he, I was like, can I tell people you did it? Because it wasn't out yet. Right. Um, and ask other people. He's like, are, are you kidding? Of course. And then it just went from there. And then like Uma Thurman's assistant ended up loving the podcast and told her to come on. And then, you know, th- there were all these weird ways in which my earlier guests came on the show. But it just, it just started with Slatty and it, and it just kept going. Slatty. I love that. Yeah. Everyone's yes. got a nick- hickey, slatty. Whatever. Yes, no one, no one. Who's got time to say the entire name? <laughs> Life moves very fast. No, I, I, yes. I love it, and I, I guess, um, uh, myself too. I, what are they? What are we doing now? This is going to be in the ep- in the two fifties, right? For me, on on my podcast, and so I'm now getting to the point where I'm having some repeat guests because they've come back around to do another Broadway show or whatever. Is yeah. that, do you, do you stay away from that from repeat guests or do you encourage it? And I have stayed away yeah. from it, but the one person who has come back a lot compared to others. And, and we did like a, a roast recently during COVID. We did a family roast where we all had to like roast each other at home one night, my, my kids and my husband and I. And my husband had us all like on the floor dying about how many times Ben Platt has been on my show, <laughs> whether it was a live show or the show or with Beanie or with Lucas, like, like the number of times. Um, and I could not be more grateful. And he's just been such an amazing support. And then because of him, Zoe Deutsch and all these other people came on uh, that he's friends with. And then and then Noah, his fiance, broke their engagement news on, on my podcast. And they, and they sort of thought about that in a very thoughtful way where they wanted that to happen. So I would say Ben uh, is is um, someone who's come on more than once. And I don't I don't think that's happened with anyone else, although it would be fine. There's crossover with the Tony podcast that we do, yeah. of course. Um, it's different. But subjects. that's the beauty of having a lot of podcasts. You can you can rotate people around in in different ways. Right. I well, okay, so so little known facts is like a resume rundown. That's sort of what what I would loosely call it. And then how to be more chill, as you and Sam Mayer, um, literally like diving into the the be more chill fandom, which I think again you could have somebody talk just for hours about be more chill, and yeah. then and the award goes too, which uh, I think is wonderful. And for those who don't know, um, what we're we're halfway through season three now, and you you always start every episode by, if they allow it, if they're comfortable, <laughs> allowing yeah. them to watch their acceptance speech, their Tony acceptance speech, or in the case of Alice and Janney, their Oscar acceptance speech. Their Oscar speech, speech yeah. Um, which for most of them, I'm finding they haven't watched since they gave it. They've never watched it. And then it opens right. up at this 30 to 60 minute conversation about that moment and things that they've never talked about again to your point they're opening up to you in a way that they just don't talk about why where did that idea ever come from because i remember you approached you approached me about the idea to start the podcast yeah someone had come to me you know it was it was during the pandemic and everything had shut down the tonys were not going to be presented and um i can't remember anymore who I was talking to, but it sparked this idea in me. Oh, I know. I, I, it, it harkens back to my telling you about people from all over the world reaching out to us uh, who can't go see a Broadway show because they live 7,000 miles away, right? So I think in talking to someone, I realized like the Tonys are, we we look at it, it's very meta, right? Like this is a celebration where our community comes together and sort of highlights the incredible work of the season, right? Like we look at at it as like this very personal thing. For so many people in the world, that is the only way they get to see even a snippet of a Broadway musical, Mm -hmm. right? Like those production numbers at the Tonys, those speeches open up all kinds of conversations for people at home with their own families. There's so much inspiration and aspiration and it's, it's, it's so emotional on so many levels. And so not having that was going to really rob people globally of this touchstone for them, like their way into this thing that they 
can't physically be a part of, but they can celebrate it one night a year. So I thought, what can I do? I mean, there were lots of things going on that year of people trying to figure out how to celebrate the Tonys. There was also a lot of conversation around what the Tonys need to become, right? It was also very political that first year and what changes had to happen. And so my thing was, let's let's look at very specific moments, like let's make it very small. Let's make it very personal because I, you know, the bigger conversation continues, but I can create entertainment and love around this moment for these actors who whatever you think of the Tonys and whatever the Tonys will become and continue to morph into, it was, it was meaningful to every single one of these winners in very different ways. So that was yeah, the catalyst or the idea. Being, and also being here what in we've the... learned, wait, Alan, what I just want to say is now I, it's all I want to do. Like you and I don't have to ask a single question, literally, like just playing that speech, we could walk away and come back an hour later yep. because the stream of consciousness for these beautiful artists around that night, it, it does all the work for us, I guess is what I was, what I want to say. It's, a, it's incredible. Format. I think yeah. I'm thinking back to the, to the season three opener with julie tamor right like she talked for an hour about lion king and like immediately when the speech is over she got teary because at the end she mentioned somebody who had recently passed away Her father and you're, you're yeah. getting yeah you're getting all of these these memories and and triggering this this elation this emotional roller coaster that the, like we were saying they probably haven't lived through again in such a long time and we're on the other side of this global shutdown yeah. where our industry our livelihood was put on unknown pause we didn't know when it yeah. was come when it was going to come back or how it was going to come back and i just love it i i really do love the podcast and it's so much fun so to fun produce it and to you. listen yeah. to listen to you talk to these people i i absolutely love it so i do too thank you. it's been yeah. i i'm just so glad it keeps going and and it's become something even though the tonys are back on um uh, it's just been so gratifying to get to hear these stories and share these stories and and also to go back, like it's not just, you know, we have Matt Doyle who won five minutes ago, but then, yeah, to have Ruben Santiago Hudson, like people, all of these people for whom, or BD, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, M. Butterfield, that's a, that's a long time ago now. And so it's history making seeing, wins. Yeah. And, and sort of how, and the evolution for them as artists from that, from that time and what, and what it's opened up for them and what didn't change because of it. Like, I remember when Roger Bart won his Tony for, for Charlie Brown, he then, you know, you kind of do the, the Hollywood victory lap. You know, you bring your Tony out to Hollywood and, and it's supposedly opening these new doors for theater people. And like, the, he just came back, like, the number of times people were like, I, I heard you won a cute little, like, like just the, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yes, it's adorable. Um and, you know, he's gone on to do such remarkable like, things. Like it spins. But, right? Like, they were like, they didn't care. They didn't <laughs> care. So also like, oh, I guess it it doesn't really change things in the way. Uh, it changes billing for sure for future Broadway shows, but it doesn't always come with what we think it comes with as well. You still have to just work so hard. You just, that's the thing of all these conversations. It's like, I mean, we just had Harvey on like, Harvey Firestein works as hard today as he did when he was just starting out trying to write stuff and get it done at La Mama. Like, mm -hmm. like the work ethic is what blows me away, just blows me away every time. It's just really inspiring. I think a lot of this is, is it's a, a community of people. This goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I think that you have fallen into this community of people who have um, the the work ethic and the drive. And I want to sort of equate this to imposter syndrome in a way because they're like, why me? I don't deserve this. I'm just going to keep going because eventually 
I'm I might feel like I I'm supposed to be here. But you're you and your friends are all like you don't stop. That's what I was saying about you're still going. You're still there. You're all successful because you don't it doesn't occur to you to stop. This is just who you are. I guess that's true and and also I mean the thing that happened early on was I had the unique joy and privilege of making stuff with people I loved. Mm. And that is, I mean, talk about a drug that you get addicted to, to make things, some of them awful, some of them <laughs> incredible, right? But to try to be up at bat over and over again with people who I think were always smarter than me and more talented than me and and that I aspired to to be like or or you know just learn from them i mean i i've always been a sponge and yeah i i think for me that's been the the thing i've chased always to to get to work on really i mean when it's great writing it's the most fantastic feeling in the world but with people you also love and and to have that safe room and safe space to fail with and that's what's incredible when you work with directors even you know that that you don't know I mean I think that's the dream like being so um feeling so safe and taken care of that you can make really huge mistakes in the work right hopefully in the rehearsal room and <laughs> not and not when you're on you know when the times is there but but yeah, like to just fail beautifully over and over again. And I think all of the people that have, you know, remained uh, part of this incredible family, and it is an incredible family, and and there were meeting places. Like, you know, after your show, if you went to Joe Allen's, all your friends would be there. And now it's Central Barset. I mean, the, the places have changed, and the, and the younger kids, I think – go to the glass house tavern right mm -hmm. there's new meeting places um but west bank cafe was a clubhouse that you knew you could go to and and what's been really kind of amazing even though covid keeps circling back in all these different ways um is is knowing that at any given night, if you walked into any one of these clubhouses, you're going to see someone who feels like family to you. Like, that's a really incredible feeling. And um, and so you never feel like an outsider. Like, you always have a place to go. It's a really that, remarkable thing. Yeah, that's something that people have always said about theater. It's that it's, it's your chosen family. When you don't have... A real family that is accepting of you for whatever reason you're gonna have someone to keep going back to the the, the yeah. bottle coming home and drinking out of a baby bottle right people are gonna <laughs> accept you and well, that girl was me Alan yeah. <laughs> that girl was me yeah and yeah. now she's on this podcast <laughs> now, look at me now no but yes or geographically like you're you're just most people who are in the theater didn't grow up in New York right I right. mean it, it is um you know, it's it's a it's a big risk that people take and they move across the country or the world to come do it. Anyway, yeah, it's it's um you know, and then the podcast world has opened up this whole new community to me, including you and the great Dory Bernstein, who just is the most generous spirit as well and, and has made a home for all of us, the two mm -hmm. of you, to kind of have a platform to share these stories. It's it's that's another beautiful community. What you guys have done, truly, at Broadway Podcast Network, it's Thank it's you. remarkable the amount of content that you guys have and the support and the foundation that you give all of us who want to do it. It's so. Thank you. Uh, you're you're welcome. I'm not good at taking compliments. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, okay. So um, that is a wonderful place to switch to my three standard closing questions to end every episode. The first one, okay. just very simply, is what motivates you? Connecting. Mm. Connecting. I like connecting. I love that. Okay. What advice would you give yeah. to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Focus on 
doing the work. Just do the work. Don't get distracted. Don't look at other people's trajectory because it happens really fast for some people. It takes a really long time for other people. And it's really hard not to compare yourself. I mean, it's so, no matter what we're doing, it's so hard. I found that true as a parent. I mean, it hasn't even mattered mm. professional or personal. Um, so just, yeah, just stick to your own inner compass and, and your gut and just keep doing the work. That's beautiful. Okay, last question. Hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? I guess it would probably be Sunday in the Park with George. Ooh, I love I that. I mean, it's not the most original answer, but it has, it has everything I need. It is a beautiful show. I really love it. All right, where can we find you online? Uh, so on Instagram, I'm Little Known Facts Podcast. But really, if you just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com, every at is there and all the things I'm doing are there. And I think that's a good place to go. I agree. All right. You can get more of me on Twitter. I don't even know where I am. I'm like where TikTok, TikTok. I am on TikTok, Facebook, you Twitter. TikTok. I am on the Tiki Talks. I don't know You're what I'm everywhere. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm out there. I joined you there. It doesn't matter. I'll say, even if we just follow each other, it's I'm entertained. It's, I appreciate. What I gotta you're get doing. over the whole thing of like putting my face out there. It's it's just weird. It's weird to me. Anyway, leave a rating, leave a review wherever you're listening now. It helps people spread the word. Everybody, go listen to Little Known Facts podcast. Listen to and the award goes to podcast. Listen to uh, how to be more chill podcast, and of course more theater podcast thank you to jukebox the ghost for the intro and outro music alana thank you so much i'm i'm so glad that we have finally gotten to do this it's long oh my overdue. god thank you thank you thank you take a deep breath make the world a little colorful hey it's leslie Odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.